Good morning, Second Service. <clears throat> As Pastor Kevin said, we're in our summer series, which is entitled The Parables of Jesus. So we're going to be in this series for about eight weeks. Uh, I'm going to kick it off this morning. As we dive into this series, I think the first thing we need to talk about is what in the world is a parable? All right? So a parable is a simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. Okay? So... Who in here like, is like me, when you read something, you love knowing exactly what it says when you read it. So you love seeing things in black and white. Who is that kind of person? All right, parables are not for you. Okay. So as we dive into this text this morning, we're going to see what is this meaning that Jesus wanted us to get from this teaching. Because one thing we know is that Jesus is the master teacher. And we're going to dive into the text and say, hey, what does this mean for them? And what does it mean for me? Because it's in the word of God. So let's go ahead and pray this morning. So bow with me. Heavenly Father, God, as we just dive into the word this morning, may you just open our hearts and minds to see what you want us to see and learn what you want us to learn. God, may we just have the Holy Spirit move in the room this morning as we just open your word. Pray us all in your name. Amen. So as we talked about this series on the parables, I'm opening with the first parable. All right. If you wonder where we're going to be, we're going to be in Luke chapter 8. All morning camped out, all right? That's where we're going to be. And the first parable that I chose to preach on is called the parable of the sower. Now, most of everybody in the room that if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard this story or at least heard about this story. So we're kicking off with the parable of the sower. And the next two weeks, we'll talk more about some of these parables that talk about the kingdom being the parable of the mustard seed. And so get ready for that next week and then the week after. We have a guest speaker coming in for another parable. But as we dive in this morning, rather than talk, talking about the parable of the sower, I think it's better to call it by a different name. Some translations call it by this. I prefer it this way. Actually, it's the parable of the soils. Because as we read through this text this morning, you will see that the focus is really on the soils and so that's what we're going to talk about. So Luke chapter 8, let's go ahead and open God's word this morning and dive in. Starting in verse 4, it says this, And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Verse 6, And some fell along the rock. And as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell on the thorns, and among the thorns, and grew up and choked it out. Verse 8, and some fell into the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 9, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables. So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. And the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. So they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who when they hear the word receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. 
And as for the ones that fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And fruit does not mature. Verse 15, and for that and the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold fast to it in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So I'm preaching on this first parable of the sower, and I've picked this one because it's already been defined so we can go home. Already there. Definition's there. Jesus said, hey, here's what it means. But when we look at this, in our culture today, we got to dive in a little bit deeper to truly find, hey, what does this mean? So let's start off with some basics. Because this morning I'm expositorily going through this text, and so things we already noticed in this text. Number one, the sower is Jesus. All right? Number two, the seed is the word of God. It is the word. And number three, the soils are the hearer or the audience. Those are three things we already see from this text, from this parable that Jesus is teaching in. Now let's unpack first thing, verse four. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to hear. So what we already know is this is one of those moments in Jesus' teaching that thousands have gathered. Probably along the Sea of Galilee, and he's had to push out the boat into the water, and it's teaching from the boat because there's so many people. Now, for those of us in our culture and context, we might look at this and say, my goodness, all these people, Jesus, why in the world would you choose to preach in a literary device as a parable? Because to me, that doesn't seem smart. Maybe what Jesus should do he waits till John 5 to break it out, but maybe he should just start off with this I'm the Son of God, so why don't you pay attention? Well, let me break that down for a second. If I got up here to preach for the first time and said, hey, I'm the best preacher you'll ever hear, I think I'd probably get laughed out of the room because I know I'm not. I listen to a lot of others that are better than me. These people were gathering to hear Jesus because of the way he taught, because of how inspiring he was, and because he could reach down into the Old Testament prophecies and literature and say, hey, here's what this really means and here's how the teachers aren't getting it right. Jesus didn't have to come out and say, hey, here is my authority given by God, so listen to me. That's inspiring in itself. So as all these people from town to town are hearing this, he goes ahead and starts with this parable. And we get four types of soil. So let's go ahead and unpack the four types of soil. Type number one is the path. And we see from verse 5, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And then we already see the response in verse 12, what this actually means. The ones along the path are those who have heard then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Now, most logical people would look at this and say, okay, cool story, bro, but what in the world is the sower doing throwing seed on the path? I'm serious. Obviously, first century, you get that picture of the, the big hat and then the, 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 the seed bag and just tossing out seed. I was raised on a farm. I, I pretty much know that you throw the seed on this ground. You don't throw it in this pile of rock. So why in the world is Jesus teaching this? So as I studied this some more, dove in, looked at some historical background, 
After I woke up from falling asleep from reading a couple lines, I got to a point. And the point was this. In the first century, they threw the seed and then tilled the ground. Mind blown. Had no idea. Because in my American culture, you plow the field and you put the seed down. Granted, I have a tractor. They probably didn't. I say probably they didn't have a tractor. All right. And so as, they, as they've done this, so they threw out the seed. And the reason they did this was they wanted every possible square inch of ground to be used for crop. So if they walked out on it, that would probably get tilled up too. That's why some, where the path didn't get broken up, there was seed there. And rocks were brought up. And we see what happens with the rocks in verse 6. It says this, and some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And we see the response to the rock here. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. Let's talk about these two for a second. We have the path and we have the rocks. With the path, as he's talking about the gospel, here is the seed, the word of God. This path is hard-hearted people that aren't going to hear it. And then you have the rocks. For me, this was hard for me when I was a student pastor because I, I deal with this with student ministry a lot, that they are excited about it for a minute and all of a sudden the busyness of life takes it away. And then adults, the next one's for you. The weeds and the thorns says this, and some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out. And the response we see from Luke is this, and as for what fell among the thorns, they were those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked out by the cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. What I love about this is after I read the, you know, the historical background of, hey, they, they plowed the field second, makes sense when I read, hey, some fell among the thorns and they grew up with it because the thorns would have already been there had they tilled, you know, not tilled. All right, there we go. All right, last one, fertile soil. And some fell on the good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who, he, who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the response to the good soil. As for that in the good soil, they are those who hearing the word hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. So already, Luke chapter 8 explains the parable of the sower. Jesus explains it. Here's the setup. Here's, here's what we know. Okay, there shouldn't be much confusion there. But let's break that down a little bit more for what it means to us. The path. It means there's no desire. There's no desire there. They hear the word, but it's no desire. As a pastor, I know that when I preach the gospel message, some will just hear it and be like, yeah, I don't care. Not important to me. Not valued by me. Then the rocks. They're excited at first, and then, boom, it's gone. It's like a flash in the pan. Uh, nerdy historical fact from Chase this morning. Where we get the phrase, flash in the pan, Comes from 17th century use of a musket, all right, a flintlock. You put some black powder on the outside in the pan, and you had some black powder in the barrel behind the ball. So therefore, that powder would ignite the powder behind the ball, and the ball would fly out. A flash in the pan was a reference to when only the powder in the pan went off, and the ball was no go. Which code word is, you dead. All right? 
And that's what I mean by this. All of a sudden, that we're excited about our faith, but we don't want to do anything with it. And then we have the weeds and the thorns, which really means distracted. We hear the word of God, but we're distracted. And then there's some of us that, you know, hey, our hearts are fertile, good soil, and we hear the word of God and we persevere. Now, as we look at each of these, I look at this and I ask the question, all right, Jesus, what are you getting at? Because if you're getting at, all right, we have a 75% fail rate for talking about the gospel, that's not encouraging. So what does this mean? What does this mean to me? And as I read through the parable of the sower, it's all about the state of our heart and our ears. What are we hearing? What state are we in to hear things? But on a theological level, I think Luke tells us about it later in chapter 13. We see only 25% of this was successful, and it goes right in hand with verse 24 of Luke 13. Strive to enter through the narrow door, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Newsflash, hearing the gospel is easy, following the gospel is hard. I get it, that's probably not encouraging to hear from the pastor, say, well, becoming a Christian is easy, but maintaining that, that's not easy, it's not. Because we have to own it, we have to want it, we have to seek it. And so as Jesus is talking about this parable, he's talking about the audience. He's setting this up because what's happening here in Luke 8, what's getting ready to happen, Jesus is going into this really long sermon, probably a little bit longer than what I'm giving right now. And he's saying, hey, three-fourths of these people ain't going to get it. All right, cool song, love it. All right, um, and as we dive into this a little bit more, we'll see something. What we'll see is this. There's another text in here. And as I read through this three weeks ago, knowing that I was going to be preaching on the parable of the sower, I, got, I, I signed the text out, and I'm like, all right, cool, parable of the sower, anybody can preach this, all right, anybody. Easy to understand, Jesus gives you the definition. So I was reading through it, and then all of a sudden I got to the middle of the story, and I'm like, oh, no. And there's these verses in Luke 8. Starting in verse 9, it says this. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, he being Jesus, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Well, that's a fun text. Because just reading it for face value, it's like Jesus is saying people ain't going to get it, and I'm okay with that. People aren't going to get it, and I'm even going to make it worse. What does that mean? Is that the Jesus I serve? And then as we start studying this some more, we realize, okay, this comes from Isaiah. This is, this is taken right out of Isaiah. And Isaiah 6, as Israel's being judged by the prophet. Starting in verse 9 of chapter 6, and he said, go and say to his people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. All right. I also know that this text from Isaiah is three times in the New Testament, all dealing with hearing the word of God. 
So what does this text mean? Why is it stuck right here in this middle of the parable? And it's a conclusion I come to. It's this. This is a response of unbelief. Why Isaiah was saying it, and, you know, well, he's prophesying about it. I get it. It's because when people hear the gospel and they choose not to want it, don't be shocked if their hearts start to harden more. And they become more resistant and more resistant and more resistant. Maybe we'll see God's power work greater and more fold down the line. But this is a response to unbelief. And then when we close out this parable in verse 15, I, had, uh, I chose the Christian standard version for this text because I, I like how it applies to our context today. It says this, but the seed in the ground around, these are the ones who have heard the word with an honest and good heart. Hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit. So that's the good soil. Basic level, everyone in here is one of those soils. Everyone in here. And maybe you can look back at your life and say this. You know when you used to be the rocky soil. Or you know when you used to be the thorny soil. You know when you used to hear that excitement of the gospel, but you know what, honestly, it lasted two weeks. Or you knew. When you were the thorny soil, and all of a sudden, you knew the gospel, you wanted to grab hold of it, but all of a sudden, life got in the way. You might look at me and say, hey, Chase, Jesus is talking to this crowd in the first century, probably around 28, 29 A.D., and he's saying this to people that don't have the distractions we have. They don't have all these awesome things like cars and sports and all this. They don't have our distractions. You're right. They probably don't have all of our distractions. They were trying not to die from disease every day. <laughs> oh, Chase, they don't have the jobs we have. They don't work the overtime we have. Well, let me just pick one of the most popular professions. Let's talk about a first century shepherd. If you were married to a shepherd in here, you didn't see them but a couple times a year. You're right. They don't have the distractions we do. Most of our distractions are just self-centered. They deal with more of the right in our human nature. So it makes sense why thorny soil might resonate to us. Because we want to be the most successful. We want our kids to be involved in every possible sport, even though it means that we're driving 40 hours a week and then working 40 hours a week. We want all this and more. And we ask ourselves why we don't have time for God. We ask ourselves why we don't have time to study scripture. There's those times in the week when we look back and say, man, I really didn't pray this week. And we wonder why. Maybe we have to realize that right now what we have in our life is thorny soil. And we're hearing the word of God, but it's being choked out because we are not feeding it what it needs. Church, a believer will have to endure. 
a believer will have to endure. I already said earlier that becoming a Christian is easy. Following Jesus is not. I'm not saying if you take on the mantle of Christ, if you say, yes, I want salvation, I want that gift of grace, I want the cross, I am not going to look at you in the face and say, good, because all your pain is now gone. What I will tell you is this. You take that on, at some point all your pain will be gone. Here's what's so good about pain or hurt or sorrow. I think God kind of knew it. It makes us appreciate some other things a little bit more. Let me ask you a practical question. If your boss came in and said, hey, I'm willing to give you your 40-hour-a-week paycheck, but all you got to work is 10 hours. I'm signing up right now. Is there anybody in here that would not sign that? Would not be like, nope, I, I want to work the full 40. Anybody like that? Okay, weirdo. All right. <laughs> no one's going to do that. But here's why. Here's why we do that. We, we say it to kids all the time. Oh, you guys want all your gratification right now. We do too. And guess what? If we only work the 10 hours and we get the full benefit, I don't fully think we appreciate the measure. And I think it's something that our culture could learn from today. To have to bleed for something, to cry for something, to scrape for something, it means more. Some of us, we talk about our, our, our families and we look back and we talk about our grandparents or great-grandparents' generation in the 20s and we're like, somehow they were happy. We don't know how. They had no money. They had a dust bowl and life had to be miserable. It's priority and it's all about how you see it from where your situation is. And it's the same thing right here. C.S. Lewis writes it this way. What you see and what you hear depends a great deal on where you are standing. It also depends on what sort of person you are. So we've unpacked this parable of the sower. The sower is Jesus. The seed is the word of God. The soils are the audience or the hearer. Now, at some point... This parable applies on a whole different level. In this moment in Luke 8, Jesus is putting himself in the spot of the sower. But if you call yourself a mature believer in Christ, you need to be able to resonate with this as well. Because we're all called to be sowers. That's the Great Commission. Go out into all the world. And now here's the problem with that. Because here's the struggle we have. Because as sowers of the seed or the gospel, we have eyes. And then we kind of get picky and choosy. What I mean by this is this. Say you're a mature believer and you, you look over here. You got your bag of seed, figuratively. Don't go around passing seed on people. That would be gross and weird, all right? My path. You people have no heart for the gospel. You're hard-hearted, so therefore I refuse to give you the gospel. I refuse to do it. I know they won't change. This is a hard-hearted group of people over here. That's why they sit on this side of the audience. The rocks. You got excited for a second, but like a cat 
chasing the laser beam, you're off of something else. I don't believe you're going to fully hold to this. So therefore, I refuse to throw the gospel out to you. I refuse to even let you have the opportunity because I know you're going to waste it. The thorns. You're too excited about the pleasures of life. I could throw this out to you however... Honestly, you care more about your job, you care more about your family, you care more about these things in life than the gospel. No, I, I don't think I should pass out the seed to you. I don't have four sides of the audience. My tech team, yes, Jesus has chosen the fertile soil. I'll give it to you because I know you're dedicated. You work here both services, you deal with me, so you get the gospel. I know that I'm using a literary device here, but church, we do that. What I mean by that is this. We might know that we need to talk to people about Jesus, but then all of a sudden we see them at face value and we're like, mm, they won't be a believer. Or we look at them and we say, oh, they got their life together. They could use some Jesus. That makes no sense to me. But all of a sudden, we look over and someone's like, oh, you don't have a home? I don't know if Jesus is for you. You're a little bit different than me. You don't smell as good. You don't have as nice things. Here's the problem with that. And that's why I love this whole first century way of farming. They didn't know what the soil was going to be. And what I'm saying is, church, your job as mature believers is to sow seed, not judge the soil. And here's why. You ain't God, and neither am I. And thank goodness we're not. It is only our job, as Corinthians says, as Paul writes in Corinthians, to be the aroma of Christ. That is our only job. It is God's job for the heart change. And thank goodness it is. Because if it was a human being that tried changing my heart, it would not have worked. It would not have worked. Every one of us here is different. However, I do know this. Everyone struggles with sin. I struggle with a little bit of pride. So if there was someone out there that thought they were better than me and knew how to fix my problems, I'd have been like, okay, step up to the plate. Thank God it was God. He was like, hey, dude, I made you. Oh, yep, you're right. <laughs> it's not our job to judge the soil. It's only our job to spread the gospel. So if you call yourself a mature believer, if you say, yep, I've been at Great Oaks for a long time or been in church a long time, I know the word of God, I know I need to be talking about it and passing it along, this is your job. When given the opportunity, have the conversation. When given the opportunity, throw out a little seed. You might be surprised what would stick and what won't. People will surprise you. It's shocking sometimes, but sometimes it's true. Sometimes it's a lot easier for the heroin addict to find Jesus than it is the soccer mom. Stop judging at face value. Because every person has potential for God to use for the kingdom. So mature believers, you are to sow seed, not judge the soil. And that's my call too. 
Because I could stand up here, I can see some of the audience, and I, and I could call you out by name, and I could try to pretend what soil you are. I could. We could do that. I'll pick on somebody, I know it's okay with you picking on them. I could be like, hey, Carl, I know you're rocky soil. I could do that. But that's not the point of church. The point of church is, hey, here's the gospel. How are we impacting for the kingdom? How are we going out beyond these walls and letting God work? Because we are his instrument. We're not the good news, church. Maybe some of us need to hear that. We are not the good news. We're only the bearers of the good news. Something I tell young pastors is they're coming up into ministry and is a phrase that they have to be careful of is people will tell you as a pastor, oh, hey, you've changed my life. And you have to quickly respond, no, I did not. God did. Too many pastors have that problem today. Maybe you're not a mature believer. So what is there for you? Maybe you're like, Chase, I, I hear what you're saying, still don't understand it all because I don't believe in Jesus. Well, that's okay. Your job's not the sower yet. Your job is to know what soil you are. So ask yourself this question. What is the state of your heart? Because we all can answer that. Where am I? Am I willing to let God speak to me? That way I can already identify, no, I'm the path. Am I willing to put God before all the other distractions in my life? That way I can identify whether or not I'm the thorny soil. Is this more than just a fad to me? Is this more than just my friends are doing it? That way I know I'm not the rocky soil. Because the ideal is we need to be fertile soil. We already know the warning that we have from Isaiah that's said three more times in the Gospels about what it looks like if we don't understand this. In fact, it's no surprise to me that Jesus, when he spoke this parable, he gave us three failures and he gave us this one success story. What I love even more is that when he gave this success story, we'll say he probably used a little bit of an exaggeration, they produced a hundredfold. If you're a farmer in here, that's a miracle. For non-farmers in here, I know you don't get it, that's fine. If you have a crop that produces a hundredfold, that's insanity. But when we truly see someone that's on fire for Jesus, don't underestimate what God will do with them. As we unpack seven more parables after today, the reason we're doing this series is not just to have this series that's stuck in the summer and we're like, oh, church is going to be lower attendance, let's teach on the parables. The reason we're doing this is so we understand the teachings of God. And I'll be honest with you, as a pastor, I know that in the summer, 90% of the time, that's our believers are in the room. Our believers are in the room. So I'm preaching to you this morning, church. What are you doing with what God has given you? What are you doing with the gospel that we have inherited from him with the word of God? This will be the last time I talk about this subject right here because we have to move on. I know we had a hard year and we had to endure a hard year. 
But we need to lay that aside. Excuses are over. Because if you ask me as a Christian, do I think that we're doing a good enough job as being sowers of the word, I would tell you we are not. How I know that, case in point, look at our society. I get it. Distractions are everywhere. When you go home, all you get is the news telling you how awful things are. All you get is negativity and negativity and negativity. I get it. We had a hard year of a pandemic. I get it. We had a messed up year of politics. I get it. But with all that, do you know what doesn't change? With all that, what doesn't change is, you know, Jesus didn't come back down and say, guys, i got to change your job description because I didn't foresee the world going this crazy. He's not doing that. It's not like, hey, guys, all you got to preach is love now because we can't talk about righteousness of God. We can't talk about the holiness of God. All you can preach is love because we have to tolerate everything. Jesus didn't say that. What Jesus did say is this. Spread the gospel. Leave the rest to him. Leave the politics to him. Leave the background to him. Leave the identity issues to him. Your only job is to be the aroma of Christ. When people see you and are around you, they want what you have because you're loving them. No matter what they are, who they are, or what's about them, because that's what Jesus would do. And for some of you that asked me this question, this first service didn't get this, so congratulations, special message to you. When people ask me the question, well, Chase, when we love people, they might think that we're okay with everything they do. Did you use that same logic with your kids? Because I believe moms in here, you love your kids, and I hope to God that doesn't mean you agree with everything they do all the time. That would be insanity. Loving people has nothing to do with being okay with who they are. Loving people just means, hey, you are God's creation. I love the beauty of you. Let's take that and let that be our charge. So this morning is this. If you're a mature believer, you got work to do. And my message to you is harsher than it is to everybody else. Because in your bag of seed, in the gospel that you present and that you get to cast out to people, you have eternity in your hands. And that is a high responsibility. To everyone else in the room, maybe you're like, no, I'm not there yet. Do you want you, I want you to start with, here's what I want you to start with. If you don't believe in this, don't believe in God, Jesus, that's fine. Start with prayer. And you're like, Chase, I don't know how to pray. I get it. I didn't know at one point either. And newsflash, there's not a certain way that you have to pray. What I want to tell you is this. Have a conversation with God. If you don't know how to do it, just start talking. If it helps you look up, that's cool too. And then from there, open God's word a little bit. Read a little bit. You might say, I don't have a Bible. Grab your cell phone. You'll find one there. Ask us for a copy of one. We have plenty to give. And then if you're worried about being that flash in the pan, that rocky swing, like, Chase, I want Jesus, but I'm worried that it's just a fad. Tell someone it's about it. 
Tell someone and tell them, if a believer, say, hey, I want to own this more. Hold me accountable. Because church, we all act differently when other people know what's going on. And maybe it's the distractions of life. You're like, hey, I get it, I'm the thorny soil. What do I need to do? Set up some God-given boundaries. Limit yourself. Know what time you need to dedicate to certain things. Set some guidelines. Start growing that way. Those are my challenges for you this morning. Because as I read the parable of the soils, I think that's what we should get out of it today. Let's pray. God, we are just so thankful we can gather in the room this morning. God, as we talk about this literary device that you used to preach thousands of years ago, that still carries the same message for us. If we call ourselves believers that we know that we are to sow seed, that we need to know where we are at. God, I pray for this room. I pray for everybody joining us online. May we seriously take a God-honest look at where we're at in life. And maybe we just need to restart. Because we want to be that good soil that listens and hears your word, not just with ears, but with our hearts. God, we thank you, most importantly for your son. The fact that we get these messages from him, straight from him. We are truly a blessed nation and a blessed people. We know that's because of you. May we remember that. Pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen.